Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kipley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. So today I am sitting with Michelle Boggs. She is a registered nurse that I have known for decades now, ironically, and uh, really respect her in her craft. I'm happy to have her sit with us here on the Care Pod. Uh, very interesting journey in that uh, Michelle and I um, have similar stories in terms of being at every rung of the healthcare ladder and kind of furthering our journey or path in medicine. And she is part of a beautiful family. She has a lovely grandmother who her own mother is caregiving for. And I just wanted to bring her in to chat with us about the nursing perspective. So thank you so much for sitting with us tonight and uh, sharing your your path on the care pod. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to yes. be here. Yes. So tell us about yourself. Okay. So I've been a nurse for uh, about 13 years. My journey started as a unit secretary in a really busy ER locally. Um, and then I went on to become a tech once I realized, you know what? I like this. I think I want to, I want to see more. I want to do more you know, sitting and, and looking at the labs coming off and starting to understand why people were there and how things correlated really piqued my interest. I was at a point in my life where I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was 24 and, and was just taking classes in college and I wasn't sure. And this was the first time I found something that really interested me. So I became a tech and then shortly thereafter, I started in a nursing program I got an associate's degree and began working in an ER where I did most of my career. Um, and then I had a few little side gigs, I guess we could call them. I did some work in a pediatric rehabilitation center for severely autistic children as a case manager, but again, missed you know the clinical setting, missed the excitement of the ER, and I found my way back. I waited probably nine years to get my bachelor's and then finally completed that, although I said I would do it as soon as I graduated. And then I decided about two years ago, I think, that I wanted to further my education a little more. And so I am about to start my clinical rotations for my family nurse practitioner. So I have about 11 months left to go and uh, I'll be on my way. That is awesome. It's awesome. Good for you. So thank you. You know, we we recently had on the care pod one of our ER colleagues and, you know, a couple of things we went through the do's and don'ts of the ER. Uh, but from, you know, take me from, you know, those early days, especially being a unit secretary in the ER, you know, to your bedside nursing expertise, you know, what, right? What, yeah. What are the tips that you would really tell families, like, what are the patterns you've noticed over your career to say, you know, this is really what you got to know? I think above anything else, someone needs to be an advocate for the family. It is a really busy environment, not just in the ED setting, you know, but also in the inpatient setting. And 
You need a family member who is going to speak on your behalf. You need somebody there to speak up, to ask questions, to listen, to record things, not record, record, but you know what I mean? Write things down. I think a lot of times, you know, we want to provide care, really high quality care. And we try to do that, but sometimes we're, we are so busy that sometimes you need a family member to speak up and ask, okay, well, when is this getting done? Or, you know, what are the next steps in the plan here? And I think, you know, a lot of people in healthcare sometimes are bothered by that a little, but being on the other side too, as a patient, as a family member of a patient, I see it from both angles and realize that, you know, you need somebody to be there with you. You need somebody to listen. And um, I think also approach it with an open mind. You, you get a lot of different information when you have a family member in the hospital. And sometimes things are coming at you really quickly. And I think that's because people are trying to figure things out for you, right? So, so just be patient, be open-minded. And having that person that's there to ask those questions is going to just help you get to get the care that you need. Have the plan of care that that, you, that the person is desiring. You just need to speak up. And I think a lot of people are, are uncomfortable in doing that. Or they're afraid, you know, they feel like, well, I don't want to upset the nurse or I don't want to upset the doctor. But that's why we're there. Our job is to help people. And we don't sometimes know exactly what you need unless you tell us. And I think that's a really, that sifts the wheat, if you, if you may, amongst us in that the best of us welcomes that challenge, if you will. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think if you're advocating for a patient at bedside as a clinician, then, you know, there should be no offense when a family sincerely has questions and uh, wants to understand the next steps in their patient care journey. So I, I do right. think that that's, that's an important note that probably should be in, in all of our curriculums in healthcare mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. as a teaching point that, and honestly, to be fully honest, I remember earlier in my career, I used to say, well, gosh, like, why is the nurse asking me why I'm ordering this or why I'm doing this? Like, it was my, mm -hmm. ego, it was my ego until I realized, you know what, this is a, this is a teaching point. This is a learning point for both of us. When I realized right. that, you know, nurses were asking because they wanted to know, you know, not to question my orders or my way, but when I looked at it from that perspective, it really, you know, helped us both grow as a team. So I do think I it's, it's, the, it's the same concept for, for families as well. Yeah, it is. And, and I think that as the, the provider, the nurse, the doctor, instead of getting frustrated with, you know, patients or families for having a lot of questions, you have to understand that this world is so, so foreign to them. And be patient with them also. And for me, the one thing that I think I've taken with me throughout my whole career is just that that person is somebody's mom, is somebody's grandmother, is somebody's sister, brother, wife, whatever, you know, and, and I know your relationship with your mom and my relationship with my grandmom. And, and when I think if they were in the hospital and they were not treated the way I would want them to be treated, it, it would be heartbreaking to me. So I Absolutely. always try to treat people, you know, you always want to treat people 
with with that human element in mind, knowing that somebody loves them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how frustrated you are, or how busy you are, or how low on the list of priorities you think they are. Somebody loves them. Yeah, that's amazing. That's beautiful, and it's so true. So on the converse end, what do families do that you would say, you know, what these are the five things that you just do not need to do? Like this is what all nurses from my perspective would say. Eh, eh. So would, are, are you talking more from an ER perspective when they come into the ER? Oh, in the ER and, you know, they're being admitted to the hospital. You know, we've all heard the stories of, you know, the, the one family met- member that, you know, repetitively comes to the nurse's station. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, so I would say, I don't think it's necessary for a family to log every single blood pressure, every single vital sign, you know, um, every single medication that the nurse is hanging. I don't think they need to get out their composition notebook and, and write it all down. I would find that frustrating. You know, I would be going into a patient's room and, and taking their vital signs and I would see them looking at the monitor asking me, well, what's the blood pressure and writing it in their book with the time. And I would think, why are they doing this? I would never say anything. But all of that's charted. We, we have that recorded somewhere. So I, I don't know what their intent is. I don't think it's necessary. I think that leave that to the nurses and the doctors to keep that information. And, and should you need it at any point in time, you are able to get it. Um, I agree with the, the nurses station piece. I think that, again, going back to somebody who loves that person, we all are, are stressed. And our family, of course, is most important to us. So we want them to have attention first, right? But mm-hmm. I think as, as the consumer, as the family, take a quick step back and think, all right, God only knows what else is floating around here. God only knows what kind of emergencies, um, critically ill people, you know, if they're not rushing into my family member, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just try to be patient, you know, the, 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 the glass of water or you know, the, the warming up the food in the microwave, all of those things, although they are important, sometimes just have to, you know, go down a few rungs on the ladder because there are major issues that need to be dealt with with other patients sometimes. So trying to just be understanding and think about, think about the other patients too. I know that's hard. I know that's hard when your family member's there and you love them because I've been in that same situation. I've been in the hospital with my grandmother and wondering why haven't, you know, she's here for sepsis. Why isn't this antibiotic up or, or me with my nurse mind, I'm thinking they're doing all these things wrong. Right. So sometimes it's even worse when we're on the receiving. Yeah. I'm sure you could say the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because we're scrutinizing every single thing that they do with the knowledge. Right. Then you have the people, then you have the people who they're scrutinizing every single thing that we do without the knowledge. So they don't even see the whole picture. They don't even understand why things are happening. So, mm-hmm. you know, just, just be patient. If, if somebody is stable, just, just try to be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, don't, don't be, don't be so demanding to the nurses and don't, don't be condescending to them. And they're, they're trying to do something for your family members. They're trying to help. They're there to do the best that they can as well. It's just, I think everybody just needs to treat each other with a little bit of kindness. And I think too, you know, it's, it's systems, 
It is the ways in which healthcare is portrayed, you know, you know, in the media as suspect or the ways in which our colleagues may have misrepresented our profession as a whole. And so I think there's a little of that. And then, you know, it's the internal systems, you know, in terms of how uh, the demand for our time and accountability and you know, documentation and quality control, and it it pulls us further and further away from uh, the compassion that we really do desire to give people. So I I think so. I think we all, I mean, for the most part, I think the majority of people that go into healthcare do it because they want to help people. They have an interest in it. They, and they're drawn to being a compassionate person. They're drawn to the science. They're drawn to, to healing. And you're right. It's all those other things that kind of get in the way of you connecting with the patient. There would be times that I would want to just sit and talk to my patients and you could see their stress level decrease if I did. And, you know, you would have, you would have your charge nurse kind of peeking in the door, like, what are you doing? Come on, you got a patient to go up to the floor. But sometimes that's all somebody needs. It's just somebody yeah. to talk to, to feel yeah. like a human being, you know? <laughs> yes. And, yes. And, and unfortunately we aren't given that kind of time anymore, sadly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, Mm -hmm. I'm sure as, as a provider, you feel the same way. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I've learned to master the art of the 15 minutes. You know, I I remember uh, that being my first culture shock. I remember you know, literally the day, you know, I was really enjoying a patient encounter and, you know, doing my thing. And I I had the infamous knock at the door from the nurse manager, uh, office manager Mm. to say, okay, next, you know, 15 minutes are up. And, you know, yeah. So I just learned to try to master that in subtle ways you know, as I take care of a patient while multitasking all of the various demands that are put on us as we work a patient's symptom up, which, you know, is, it's a, it's a continual process in your career, you know? Right, right. Um, So what would you, what would you say you learned most about yourself from, I would say, graduation to graduation? So from the unit secretary to the tech, to the nurse to now your nurse practitioner journey? Oh, without a doubt, I've learned that you never stop learning, that you never, ever know it all or see it all. I think when you're a baby nurse and you come out of nursing school, you have all this, you know, knowledge that you learned from books and in your lectures. And you think, oh, I know about every disease. I I know how to manage anything. Then you see real life people and it's what a shock that is because they don't do anything in real life like they do in the books. And then there's just so many different things that you encounter over the course of your career. And, you know, I've worked with nurses who've been nurses for 25, 30 years who say, I'm still learning new things. I'm still seeing new things every day. And I guess just in each role, you know, you think, well, I'm taking the knowledge from this last role into my new role. And and you feel like maybe you have a little advantage you're still Mm going to learn more and more and more. You know, I'm gearing up to start clinical for my NP. And I think the thing that scares me the most is I'm coming from an acute care setting to an ambulatory setting, right? And Mm -hmm. how am I going to change my mindset 
from everything's an emergency to, you know, where am I going to refer this patient to as an outpatient? I really feel like I'm going to have to relearn all of my assessment skills in a way. So I think just you never stop. You never stop just trying to better your knowledge and broaden your experiences because there's so many things out there that you, you might not have seen yet. Absolutely. And you, the beauty of the outpatient is that you're given the gift of time versus mm -hmm. the, the ER. You might, you have that one shot in time usually to get it right. Right. But uh, with outpatient, you do have the ability to follow that patient over time, which is a beautiful way to develop relationships and see, you know, m multiple generations in a family and so forth. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's probably the biggest, was the biggest push for me to choose family because, you know, I really enjoyed some of those patient encounters in the ED. Then the person, you know, as you were just getting to like kind of build build a relationship with them, they'd be ripped out of the room and they'd be gone. and You'd never see them ever again. And sometimes I would wonder like, how, how was that person? I really connected with them. Right. So I always craved that. I always craved the opportunity to build a relationship. So I do look forward to that. Hopefully I'll be able to adhere to a 15 minute um, <laughs> <laughs> timeline because I'm pretty chatty. And once I get to know people, I feel like we'll be in there for an hour hearing about, you know, everything in their life. So, I mean, it's just, I really look forward to that, to having yes. a relationship. And when anybody, whenever anybody asks me, like, why did you pick family nurse practitioner? It's exactly what I say. Like, I mm -hmm. want to build relationships with people. Yes. Interested in learning more about the Impactful Caregiving Affiliate Program? Reach out, connect at impactfulcaregiving.com. So t take us through that uh, journey. So nurse practitioners declare the field or, or how, what is the training specifically around the, the type of medicine that you go into? So you, so it's a master's in science program, master's in science in nursing. And the initial, you know, the half, the beginning half of the program, everyone takes the same courses and it's kind of just like an advanced version of your nursing courses. You know, you redo your pathophysiology, you redo your, your diagnostics and assessments, you redo your pharmacology, all that good stuff, but just mm -hmm. in, you know, way more depth. And I'm sure you, um, can relate to this from going from PA to MD, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so then um, you have to choose which track you want to go into. And there's a variety of different ones. You know, you could do family nurse practitioner, you could do acute care, which they work in the inpatient setting, pediatrics, women's health, all those good things. So I selected family. I know a psychiatric nurse practitioner is a hot one right now. A lot of people are doing, but I wanted to have the option to do a lot of different things. You know, I could do primary care. I could get hooked up with the specialty and, you know, work in a, in a outpatient specialty area. I could still work in the ED. So if I wanted to be in the hospital, I could still technically be in the hospital, just not on the inpatient floors, urgent care. So I, I felt like I had a lot of different opportunities if I went with this track. So that's, that's where I'm at. Good for you. So if a nurse practitioner declares psychiatry 
and now they say, I want to go back and do family. There's additional mm-hmm. training involved. Yeah, you have to go, you have to go back for a postmasters. And I think it's like, I don't quote me on it, but I think it's somewhere around like another year of training because then they have to do additional coursework and, and I believe some more clinical hours too. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think you made a good decision there because of uh, your growth in the field. You'll be able to do so much. Uh, yeah, as that's, you grow. that's what I'm hoping. Absolutely. It's tough to make the decision. I'm sure it's the same when you go into medicine and you have to decide what specialty you want to work in. You yes. get such a such a small glimpse into each each uh, different specialty. No one ever really knows what they want to do forever. Right. So, right. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of uh, I kind of felt like if I pick this and I change my mind a few times while I'm in it, you know, maybe I'll start out doing primary and then who knows, maybe one day I'll work for a cardiologist or maybe I'll work for an OBGYN. I don't know. Who knows Absolutely. Where right, right. So tell us about your family. I happen to know about your beautiful family from your pictures that you shared. And uh, tell us about your heritage, your family, your caregiving journey. So um, ironically, I'm actually here at my mom's house talking to you, staying the night with my grandmother because my mom needed a little break, you know, just to to get away for the night because she's the primary caregiver for my 96-year-old grandmother. My mom's going to be 63 tomorrow. So it's a lot for somebody her age. She works full-time. Um, I have a sister who's 21 years younger than me who lives with my mom. So she's a really big help too. My grandmom is, um, for the most part, really, really healthy for 96. Um, Her mobility, I would say, is her biggest issue. She walks on a walker. So she really just needs somebody with her 24-7 in in the event that she loses her balance or she has really bad knees. If her knees give out on her, just somebody to be there with her. Um, Mm -hmm. Her mind is probably in better condition than mine is. She remembers (laughs) more more than I do. She's like the, she's like the manager of the family. She knows what everybody's doing, where everybody's supposed to be. Uh, she's always following up. Did you remember to do this? Did you remember to do that? Because really, you know, all day she kind of just sits on the couch and she probably has a lot of time to think, <laughs> um, but she has, she has a Facebook. She has an iPhone. She's a hip grandma. I um, and she, love it. Yeah. It's awesome. She's, she's definitely the matriarch in this family. She's been widowed since she was in her fifties. My grandfather had Parkinson's and he died at 66 and my mom and her took care of him. My mom was only 29 when she lost her dad and he was sick for like 10 or 11 years. Um, so that was like a really hard journey for them. My grandmom always lived with my mom. So, you know, now my mom is really the sole caregiver for her she bathes her, she dresses her, you know, she could do all those things, but she needs assistance with everything. Cause again, we don't want yeah. her to fall. So she does all, she gets up in the morning. She does all this before she even goes to her job, works all day, comes home and does it all again. So caregivers need breaks sometimes too. And it's a lot. Absolutely. It really, it, it's a lot. And I, you know, I think I talked to you before about the whole caregiver burden. And, you know, my mom definitely feels that. And I think I tend to be a little dismissive and 
I, I know I shouldn't be, but kind of like, I think in my mind, like, oh, you got this, you know, it's fine. Everything's fine. And I think that's like protective, a way for me to be protective of my feelings because I don't want to admit that it's hard. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, I, I'm working on it. Let me pause you there. That That's an important, yeah. that's an important point. I, I had listened to Tifa Snow. She's in the dementia space and she had done a conference and she pulled some audience member up and kind of did a role play and spoke on that very thing that we need to look into our loved one's eyes and say, even into those, not in your scenario, but in the aging loved ones that we're caring for that may have dementia, they will still understand that, hey, mom, hey, dad, this is hard. You know, this is hard for me too, that I know it's hard for you and you're frustrated because you're trying to connect words or trying to understand this new environment you're in. Uh, or having to depend on me, but this is hard for me too. And I think that's important. And, and as a daughter, that's an amazing, it's an amazing kind of test of your resilience, especially your mom going through this so young with your grandmother and now still, you know, caregiving for your your grandmother. It's a, it's, it's a large part of her identity, it seems. It really uh, is. She, she's always carried a heavy load on her shoulders. And, you know, similar to what you're saying is looking into the eyes of, of the person who you're caring for. I, I see something with my mom and my grandmother and, and I'm a little bit more of like an, it's like more of an outside perspective, but I, I, I see my mom get frustrated, you know, because sometimes she, because my grandmom is, is so strong mentally, she can be demanding mm-hmm. and I'm whispering a little bit because I don't want her to hear me, but she can be really demanding and really intense. And mm-hmm. my mom, my mom gets very frustrated. And, and then I in turn get mad at my mom and I say, mom, she's 96. She's not changing. This is her. You just have to let things roll off your back. And, and it's easy for me to say that Kipley, because mm-hmm. I'm not here taking that, you know, daily intensity and that, those punching ball, right? Yeah, yeah, the punching right, ball. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. You know, and then my mom then my mom will feel guilty. It's like this vicious cycle. Then she'll feel guilty and it's yeah, I'm probably going to have guilt when she does die, but I know I'm a good daughter. It's like she's rationalizing it, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and and I can sit here and tell you with 100% certainty when my grandmother leaves this earth, she will have guilt. Should she? Absolutely not, but I know my mom. And it's it's in those moments of frustration and annoyance a little bit. And it's not because she doesn't love her. It's sometimes I think she doesn't feel appreciated. Oh, I, I that's it. It's the, it's the constant falling short, coming up short. Yeah. Despite yeah. all yeah. your efforts, despite all that yeah. you, you were doing. So yeah, and, that and is, you know what though, it, that's a, that's a typical mother daughter relationship. Anyway, no matter, anyway. <laughs> no, no matter like what, stage you are in life you know my kid is seven and I'm already like low man on the totem pole because you know moms and their girls they just bump heads and I can only imagine when when the roles are reversed and now now the daughter's caring for the mom and it's like well well you're my mom I need you for support but I'm supporting you my yeah. grandmother's so heavily dependent on my mom it's like she has become the child she's fearful when my mom's not here 
Um, she wants to know where she is. When is she coming back? And I think that adds stress to my mom's life because she feels like she's not okay if my mom's not here. Now she's mm-hmm. out. She's having a good time. She went down to Atlantic City. She went to a dinner. She went to the casino tonight. She's staying overnight. But she's already texted me like 10 times. We call my grandma Nan. Is Nanny okay? You know, she was feeling a little dizzy yesterday. How is she feeling? Did she eat? Did she this? You know, make sure you make sure you put the commode next to her bed. You know, I have all these instructions. I said, mom, I'm a nurse. I took care of people (laughs) on ventilators. (laughs) I'm like, I got this. Literally dying people I had under my care and their family trusted me. I can do this. This is like, you know. Yeah. I I completely, completely resonate. And it is, it is, it's a specific niche for the, the busy professional caregiver. It's one thing oh, to yeah. have the caregiver burden in general, but you're able, you're afforded the opportunity to be home. And that mm-hmm. is your sole, sole duty. But to be a working, busy professional and, you know, then want to have the accountability and the honor of your aging loved one is on a completely different level. It's um, a lot. Yeah. And to add to it, my mom is, is a single woman at 63. So the financial responsibility is solely hers. She has a big four bedroom house that she runs all alone. And she, you know, she's thinking about that. She's thinking about financially. She's thinking about my sister, who's 21, who's about to start nursing school. You know, she's still supporting her other kid. You know, then she has my grandmother to run to doctor's appointments, to manage her medications. Like, if I sit there, sit here and like break it all down, sometimes I think, wow, I don't know how she hasn't lost her mind yet, honestly, because yeah. it is, it's a heavy load. It really, really is. And, and some people probably could not do all this. Absolutely. And, you know, again, back to like the protective kind of behavior when she, when she does come to me and she tells me how stressed she is and, or, you know, how anxious she feels. I become very dismissive because I don't want to think she can't do it because I don't want my mom to not be okay too. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and furthermore, you as a daughter, like I've had, I've had friends in, in our cohort say, I'm not ready. Like I'm not ready to take care of my mom. I'm watching my mom take care of my grandmother and I'm not ready for that, you know? And so, what does that mean for you now when you look at your mother at 63 caregiving your grandmother? Uh, what, are, what are some things that you would keep and what would you throw away in terms of the caregiver experience? You know, these things I've learned from my mother, absolutely, and would continue. These things I, think, I will not. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really tough question because I think, Right now, I can say, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that, but I don't know if, it, if that will hold true when I'm really faced with that situation. But mm-hmm. um, I, think, I think probably the biggest thing that I see is my mom, as much as she wants help, she refuses help because it's a control, because she can only do it the right way. She only knows how to care for her the, the correct way. So I think being willing to accept help 
you know, mm. and letting go, letting go a little bit of that control. And I'm sure this is like this for a lot of people. It's, it's not much different than when you have a baby and the first time you leave your baby with somebody, you call a million times you're checking because they can't watch your kid like you can. They can't take mm. care of your kid like you can. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I see that. I see that, you know, right now we're challenged. Quick example. Um, because my mom works full time, my sister's going to be starting school full time. We need, we really feel like she needs to have somebody 24 hours or not 24 hours a day, whenever my mom's not here, I should say. Mm-hmm. And my mom's been talking about this for probably a month. We got to get somebody. We got to get somebody. We got it. Okay. I said, Mom, I know a ton of nursing students. I said, we don't, you don't need somebody to do actual care. We just need a human being here to help her walk to the bathroom, just to watch her, to make sure she doesn't get hurt. That's it. Help her prepare mm-hmm. her lunch, right? It's not any, any like, you know. Rocket science, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. We're not doing any medical procedures or anything like that. She takes her own medications. It's, it's very simple. It's just a person to watch her. Mm-hmm. I said, look, I said, I'll put a post on Facebook. We can go on care.com. And she just, as much as she wants it, she doesn't want to accept those possibilities, like those areas to ask for help. Oh, well, we can't just have anybody come in here. We can't have a stranger. I'm not going on care.com. I'm like, these people are vetted. You know, they have background checks. She, it's not like she doesn't know if somebody's treating her poorly. Like she could say to us when that, when they leave, Hey, that lady treated me like crap. She talked flesh to me, whatever we would know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and that's what it is. It's, it's the deferring of it's bringing someone in now to your personal space, to your way of doing yeah. things to yeah. you know, defer that privacy and the last, you know, morsel. And it's interesting because people say control and I, I'm in that very spot now, you know, I, I'm going to be lecturing across the country and I take, yeah. And I, and I take, I take that personal responsibility of showering her, her personal grooming, same thing. She can do all of these things herself. But after a traumatic fall, I definitely don't want to go down this road again. So I'm particular to be the one to do that. So for me to, and for my, it's, it's almost like giving her her own dignity, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to bring someone now into this space to handle urine smells or personal visibility of her person and these very intimate aspects of caregiving seems it seems it's a slippery slope it's almost disrespectful uh so you know where most people would say oh no you got to surrender control it it would absolutely be a game changer for my time but i i totally get it it's 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 hard. And then when you find that person that that's fabulous, that can come into your life and be a part of your family and be of a help. Sure. You know, I often mm-hmm. joke that I need a Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> it, 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 it will be, it's, it's, it's a blessing to your family. So yeah, I totally understand that as, as I'm sure many in the care pod community would as well. It might not be control. That might not be the right word. You know what a better word might be? Trust. Trust. Put trust. Put trust into somebody else that they can, they can do it the way you do it. Yeah, they're gonna 
they're going to treat them the same way that you treat your, your mom. And it's hard to trust that anybody's going to do that because they don't have the emotional attachment to them that you do. Yes. And you've nailed it right there, Michelle, you know, deferring trust. So, and that is the core to so much of what I teach on impactful caregiving on the road in my career is, you know, we are, we're caregivers as professions, as clinicians. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it is, it's so simple. You know, people are coming in to defer their trust to us to pray that we will honor their loved one clinically. And here we are personally caregiving, uh, hoping to find that person that we can defer trust to, to not, they might not even care give the way we would, but in their own way, could they care give? And honor, right? They're they're never gonna they're never gonna right care. They're, they're honoring them in 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 a way that we would do so, and that's that's the really hard part. I just yeah I feel that way mm-hmm. because you know we we've been on the side where we are providing care to a stranger, right? I never yeah. really felt an emotional connection in a way, of course, of in a way that I feel towards my family. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. It's it's just not possible to feel that again with a stranger, right? Right, and, right. And and you you want this person, this stranger that comes into your house to take care of your mom or my grandmom or or one day my mom to to feel that way or to treat them that way. It's it's really not possible. They're there to do a job, and that's the part where it becomes hard to give up the control and and put trust in them that they're going to do it the right way. And they're going to do it with respect for that person. And integrity. Absolutely. Integrity. They're not just doing, you know, they're just not going through the motions and and it's just your family member is just another, another job for them. Right. Yeah. And I, I, but again, it it does go back to sifting the wheat, you know, the best of us, regardless of not having the emotional connection to these people, it's in terms of our, the patients we serve. Uh, still find that common thread that bridges that gap at the bedside. That mm-hmm. although we are doing a job, we are finding a common understanding that this is someone, someone. And right. I think those someone, of us someone. that, like that. Yeah, you know, those of us that are doing just a job, those patients feel that, or those of us that understand yeah. that, wow speaking to your earlier point that, hey, this is someone's mom, someone's wife, someone's sister, someone's pops, uh, will care, will provide care differently. Absolutely. Wow. So uh, yeah, amazing. Amazing. It's so well said. It's spot on. That's what it all really, that's what it all comes down to. Just keeping in mind that there's someone's someone. Yes. So tell me any light of that. No, because it will guide your care every time. It will guide your advocacy on the patient's behalf, your decision-making, your collaboration, Mm -hmm. your ability to take a breath in challenging times and reset and dig deeper to find the diagnosis, to push on behalf of that patient, et cetera. It's really Mm -hmm. not difficult, but our systems and our current 
societal structure has really uh, changed the dynamics of what care looks like. And I think that it's a matter of us kind of redefining our narrative and taking our taking our power back in the ways in which we care for one another and and engage in shared humanity. Yeah. So so tell us one last thing as we close out our care pod conversation that you would want to share regarding your journey. And I uh, thank you so much for sitting with us today. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. I feel like every time I talk to you, it's it's so eye-opening. I think I think I just want to go back to the point that we we both made about treating everybody as if they're your family. And I think if we can continue to spread that and and to future generations of nurses and physicians and anybody who works in healthcare, letting people know that this is someone someone. And I think, you know, for the family members and the people who are are the caregivers at home, just knowing that they're not alone and supporting them because it's hard for it's hard for the person giving the care and it's hard for the family member who has to take receive the care from their child really hard for them and i and i i I see that with my grandmom and I, i don't always think my mom sees that it's not easy to give up your independence it's not easy to rely on your child and Everybody just has to be patient with one another and understanding. Absolutely. Great way to finish out our conversation. Thank you so much for sitting with the Care Pod today. Thank you for having me. Great information right from the source. For more information on how to care give like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.